0: We are indeed drawing drawing this series to a close, and um, that means that we've covered the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians, and we're getting to the point where Paul is bringing his final conclusions. And so this morning's the talk is um, called Generosity Wins, Generosity Wins. Uh, Paul has been extremely generous in the way that he has handled this group of mixed people. It's the nicest way to say Mixed people. Mixed because they come from different cultures, come from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, different religions, and all of it's fused together in this group that Paul calls the saints in Corinth. And I just keep on laughing about that because the saints in Corinth Corinth seem to be anything but saints. And uh, we've seen their journey. So Paul is now going to um, talk to them about something that's Obviously, been in the conversation of the day because he addresses them as if they are knowing about something that is going on. And so, this morning, as we pick this up, we'll see that Paul is discussing with them uh, events that are happening around the unknown world. And so, Paul begins this part of chapter 16 by saying, Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. So There's an assumption here that Paul is speaking into what is an already established conversation. Now, about that collection, okay, so Paul is answering questions that have come to him, and so we don't get to know what the questions are except by picking up the answers. And so here we have Paul talking about now the collection for the Lord's people. Now we go, well, what's all this about? Well, we need to understand the context. So what's going on when we read Corinthians is that there's another book that's being outworked simultaneously. It's called the book of Acts. And this book of Acts covers decades of how the early church was established. So when we find this book of history, we can say, okay, here's the book, here's a letter to the Corinthians. And it was written here in this period of time. So in the book of Acts, we should see something comparable with what's going on here as Paul talks about this offering. And so let's just have a look at what it is that the book of Acts has to say. Acts chapter 11 says here, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is in modern-day Turkey. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius, which happened to be 46 AD. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Saul being Paul in a different context, Saul being Paul, the same person. So here we have in the book of Acts, uh, this, this prophet who's in the midst, a guy called Agabus, uh, predicts either completely out of the blue that there's going to be a famine, or maybe there's the beginning of something going on, and he can predict the severity of this famine. Either way, he stirred people up, and they're taking his word seriously because they trusted him as a prophet as he told them that they were going to experience something extreme in this whole region. And so the response to this was saying, hey, listen, we who have, we should be able to give to those who don't. And there was always a great concern about what was going on in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the the centerpiece of their faith. It's where the church was born at Pentecost, And the disciples, the twelve disciples, or those that remained, stayed there and committed themselves to prayer and to the uh, reading of God's word, and obviously the establishment of mission, because they were very much a mission people. So when Paul went and spent his time out in the nether regions of this continent, he would always refer back to Jerusalem as as his point of authority. He was sent as an emissary out into the regions to preach the gospel. And so here he is explaining to them, or had explained to them, that there is going to be a famine. And so what he does is he says, look, let's take up an offering of money to go and help people back in Jerusalem where they're really struggling. So the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church also picks up on this. So there's continuity in this talk about this offering. And what Paul does is he now, in 2 Corinthians, commends the Galatian churches for their generosity in respect to this famine, the money that they raised to give to the seniors, the elders, the apostles in Jerusalem. So let's have a look at what Paul says about the Galatian church. Sorry, the Macedonian church in the same area. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Now, if you look at verse 2 there, there's a real unusual mix of of illustrations there. Paul says, in the midst of their severe trial, so they're under enormous pressure, their overflowing joy, which seems to be the opposite of what you get when you're under an extreme trial, Okay? You know, when you're under extreme trials, do you jump around getting all joyful? No, you don't. It's usually tearful rather than joyful. And then he says that, and in their extreme poverty, they weld up in rich generosity. Well, those two things don't go together either, do they? They don't go together. But we're going to see how they do go together. Because God doesn't work out uh, generosity by simply the number on the page or the number in your hand as far as the cash is concerned. God works out generosity based upon percentages. What is it that you have left, not what is it that you gave? And so here is Paul describing this Macedonian church as having this extreme wealth that comes out of an extreme poverty. Rather unusual, but this is God doing math. This is how God does his equations. Paul goes on to say this even further. He says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this Service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Powerful words, eh? Powerful words. That just strips back all the motivation, strips back what it means to, to put your assets and your possessions in the right place by saying, Paul is saying, these folks pleaded, pleaded with them um, To give. And yet Paul would look at them and say, but hey, you can't afford to give, you don't have anything to give, so how can you give? But out of extreme poverty, they welled up with extreme generosity. So quite a remarkable group of people who take seriously their, um, their, their, their need to support the elders in Jerusalem. Now one of the things that um, I got taught by my, by the principal at Baptist College was, was one of these little takeaways that often happen in a classroom. We with Brian Smith, the principal at the college, uh, we had one of these unusual experiences almost every week where we would have a certain subject that we needed to be learning about, but within five minutes we're on to something else. Any of you have been in classrooms like that? You have a tremendous amount of fun and you come to the exam and you go, we never talked about that. But that's irrelevant because we learned a whole lot of good stuff. One of the good, one of the good things that we learned was this. Brian threw these five words up on the, on the uh, blackboard one day. And he said, this is how God establishes his priorities. There is God, and God, by virtue of us understanding him, uh, creates culture, and our culture is built around the worship of God and his priorities. That leads to education, which leads to an understanding of our world through science, which leads to economics, which is the management or the stewardship of our resources. Okay, that's all economics is, isn't it? It's the management and stewardship of our resources. So this is a priority that God wants us to have when we look at our world and how we manage our lives. The interesting thing, of course, and you're gonna, you won't get many points for working this one out, is that society has it all around the other way. So when we read the newspapers, when we listen to the news, it's all about economics, isn't it? We get told that the economy is doing well or not so well, that jobs are, are prevalent or not prevalent, that businesses, stock markets, etc., etc., are all doing well. And to serve the God of economics, we have science. And to serve the God of science, we have education. And then culture and God end up sort of taking this sort of also-ran place. Culture is important, but God becomes this sort of idea that people want to hold on to in their private world. Okay? So it's not always what it seems. So here we have a priority that is being given to us by Scripture compared to a priority given to us by society and a complete reversal. And that's why for us, money becomes the battleground for our internal war. Do you know that? Money is a battleground for our internal war. We're always challenged by it. We're always competing with it or for it. And it gives us the ability to to buy and to sell, but money becomes the priority in respect to how we spend it, defines what our priorities are. This last week... um, I somehow came across an advert for a, a seat, a little seat that uh, you sit there and you take it out of your car and you can watch the sports, watch the cricket, watch the rugby. And um, this little seat is an extra. It goes with um, a car that we know as a Rolls-Royce. All right? So when you buy your Rolls-Royce, you get the opportunity to buy a few little extra bits and pieces that go with it. Now, anybody like to guess how much this little aluminium chair is worth as an extra? Throw out a figure. Four grand. Four grand. A bit more, Roger. Ten. Exactly. $10,000. You two can have this seat in your Rolls Royce or your Bentley as a little extra just so that when you go and go to the races at Ascot, you've got something to, wa- to sit on. And so you look at this and you go, well, wow, somebody's priority is not really doing it for me, but uh, I mean, all honesty, all honesty, I've never spent more than 10 grand on a car in my whole life, the whole car. You know, I drive my cars to the point where sometimes they get so lacking in value that they double every week in, in value when it's got a full tank of gas or not. You know, it's like half, double the value, half. And so it goes on. And one of the things that we... Um, we see around us is the value that people will put on different things for different reasons. Now, I I think cars are amazing. I quite like watching some of those car programs where they they do them up from the bottom up. Uh, They're like works of art, aren't they? They really are beautiful. You've got to admire them. Um, Now, so Paul, let's come back to his directive to the Corinthian church. He says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. See, we've just been talking about the Galatian churches in Macedonia. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So... What Paul is saying is that giving is a consistent part of our experience. In keeping with this situation, it's about saving up or giving up and over on a consistent basis, a weekly basis, for a collection in this case, for the church's people, church's leaders and the church itself in Jerusalem. And so Paul is talking here about a consistency in the way that we give, a consistency in the way that we manage our money so that God is able to take hold of what it is that we have been given and use it for his purposes. And so what's happening here is that this money is being sown in to a worthwhile cause, the very centre of their spiritual life coming out of Jerusalem. So um, we we did something similar last week. Those of you who are here will remember that we interviewed David and Linda Cowie and uh, celebrated with them 30 years of marine reach being here in New Zealand after they established it. We talked about all of the work that they'd done over the last few years with hundreds and thousands of other people working alongside them to touch over a million lives. A million lives have been touched by this ministry. And so it was more spontaneous than anything. I just said, hey, let's sow into this because this is a worthwhile investment for the kingdom. And so we raised $17,500 for them. That was last week. So it's fantastic, isn't it? And if you want to give those of you missed out... um, It's okay, you haven't missed out. You can still help if you'd like to. Um, One of the things that uh, happened to me this week, which talks about this spiritual battle a little bit, was um, I was going for a walk around Tepuna. My folks live out that way, so I pop in and see them. And I I go for a a walk around and try a few hills, and I do it regularly. Um, But I was cruising along this uh, road, and I looked down, and uh, in my usual fashion, being a Baptist, I was looking for coins on the side of the road, and um, it's a class that we take at Baptist College. It helps us understand how treasurers think. And um, anyway, I saw this little wallet, and it was a wallet for a cell phone. And I picked it up, and uh, Karen Walking had a look inside it. It had an AA card and a $20 note. And so I get back to my folks' place, and Michaela was there, and I said, Oh, I said, I'm in a bit of a moral dilemma, really. I said, You know, <laughs> 20 bucks, you know, am I going to? Somebody want to come and pick it up or clearly the phone's been stolen and they flicked this thing out the window, something like that. And so what happened was um, I thought, well, I'll see what I can do. So this AA card that was in there, I rang the AA and I told them that I'd found it and they said, uh, well, we can't tell you the name of the person because, you know, confidentiality. So next thing I get this phone call from this guy and says, hey, thanks very much. That's my wife's wallet. Um, And I explain where I'd found it and... uh, I said, well, you can come pick it up from our place if you want. So anyway, on Friday night, Michaela and I went to the movies, and I was in the movie theatre, and my phone's vibrating away in my pocket, and you don't touch your phone in the movies, do you? Anyway, I get out, and this guy's phoning me, but he left a message, and it said, look, we've been phoning the cell phone of my wife, and um, the phone's still ringing, and so we thought maybe if we went to where you found the wallet, we might find the cell phone. So this was about 8 o'clock, and I couldn't for the life of me specify exactly where it was. You know, where I found it was just on the stretcher road. So I said to Michaela, come on, let's go and let's just drive out there now and before it gets too dark and see if we can find this thing. And so we turned up where I'd found it, and sure enough, there was a credit card on the road. And I was like, oh, that's a good sign. And um, <laughs> Michaela walked across the other side of the road and found the driver's license. And so I rung the number, and I was walking up and down the side of the road, and there it was on silent, just vibrating away with this pink glow. So um, it was one of those little stories where you just go, oh, this is so cool, you know? It's like we tried something, it all came together. It was a good little story. I rang the folks and uh, told them what had happened, and then we, we dropped it up at their place, and they were, they were happy campers. But it's a great little story, but I have to admit, in the early part of that story, I really was like, oh, really? For 20 bucks? You know, you know. I was like, ah. But then I thought, well, at a minimum, somebody wants to know what's happened to their wallet, and it uh, transpired they'd left it sitting on the roof of their car. Who's done that? <laughs> Who's done that? I've done that. You only do it once, don't you? Or well, you try to only do it once. Yeah, so all that to say, we have these little wrestling matches from time to time, and, uh, you know, being a Baptist, 20 bucks is a big deal. So, um, <laughs> hey, did you hear the story about the... Uh, the $5 notes that went back to the Treasury after they'd had their lives, they'd spent their lives going round and around and around, And uh, these two $5 notes were having a chat with a $100 note. And, um, and the $5 notes uh, were discussing where they'd been, and they said, oh, man, I've been to a Baptist church, I've been to a Presbyterian church, and um, a- an Anglican church, and they are talking about all these places they've been to. And uh, they, they turned to the $100 note and the, they asked the $100 note, where have you been to? And he says, oh, I've been to lots of places, but can you tell me what a church is? <laughs> that was a actually a spontaneous joke, that was. Um, <laughs> it might not make it to the second rendering. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just retreat. I'll, but um, you have welled up in generosity towards Marine Reach, so I can't say. I can't say that's untrue. I can't say it's true, 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 true. Anyway, here's some more scripture for us to read. No, it's not, actually. I'm going to come back to this in a second. One of the most important things about um, um, the church was how it established itself with its use of money, its use of resources. You see, they had this thing called the gospel, the story of Jesus, but it was how it was being outworked was the most powerful witness To the community around them, you see, the story of Christ being crucified, raised from the uh, dead—it was a story that was delivered with power and conviction, and it was powerful in itself. But we're always interested, aren't we, in what the end result will be in in the community that it's being uh, spoken on, spoken about. In other words, what does the church do, and how do Christians live their lives as a result of this gospel being preached? And this week I picked up on a, a little bit of history. It's from the year 125, so about 70, 80 years past the writing of this, this letter to the Corinthians. And there is a guy called Aristides who wrote and observed the Christians as they lived their lives. And uh, I think it's spectacular. It says, they, the Christians, walk in all humility and kindness and is not found among them. And they love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. He that has distributes liberally to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. But when one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them see him, Then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any one of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessaries, necessaries, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food." Just an amazing picture of what community looks like at a level that is uh, honoring one another and serving one another as they serve Jesus. It was this sort of lifestyle going on in the midst of the Roman world and the Greek world that transformed society and so when we talk about money, we're not just talking about it in the in the context of like uh you know creating good finance financial systems or being generous in as much as we look out for those who we might come across, but there was a high level of intentionality, and the way that these folks used their resources was a, was a significant, significant statement about their love for God and their mission to his world. And when we look at what God is doing in our world, we could quickly summarize it in three words. We could say that God has, is all about mission, he's all about mercy, and then there's this other thing called management. You see, it's all very well to get involved with mission and to, be, to have merciful outreaches to people who are poor and needy. We need good management. This is how the church works, okay? This is how we, the people, work. We've got to be organised when it comes to what we do with our mission and our mercy. You can't just sort of turn up and say, here I am, I'm happy to help. You've got to be, be organised. But the three things that, that we, three things that we bring to the mission, mercy, and management of these, we bring time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. We can't do anything without the time, and we bring the talents that we have. And, of course, we bring the treasure, the financial ability to make this happen. And this, for us, is this equation that allows us to meet the needs of 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 a community around us in the name of Jesus and touch them in keeping with what it is that they need. So we're still working away quietly now at the moment with um, the local health clinic here, the, the Hauora that belongs to Nati Hangaro, And, uh, and it's, a, it's a really important work as we work together to help them build a new health centre. We have the ability to help them do what it is that they know is good for their community. And if we can help them be blessed in their community, um, we get to do the work of the Lord there to help those who are the least of these amongst us. So this is the sort of thing that we are doing. We're trying to do what it is that God wants us to do by using our time, our talents, and our treasure in the most strategic way. And each one of us needs to be looking at what it is that we're doing with all of our time, talent, and treasure to be strategic in the way that we establish the kingdom of God through our resources. Now, one of the things about the New Testament is it doesn't talk specifically about tithing in the fashion that the Old Testament did, and yet tithing is a biblical principle that creates a starting place for God. So tithing is taking a tenth of your income and putting it towards the work of the Lord. The interesting thing about a tenth is that it's a lot of money. If you've only got $100, $10 is a lot of money. If you've got $100,000, then $10,000 is a lot of money. And so it's a principle there that, that is defined around a percentage not an amount. And that's what I think the beautiful thing about this is, because um, Jesus always looks at the percentages, not necessarily the amount. Let's remind ourselves here of what he said about this person. He said, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So, so it's always about percentages. And this in itself is, a, again, a challenge for us because um, we live in a world where we have lots of varied means of income. I mean, the chances are that if you own a home in this current economic climate, that your home is earning more every week than you are. Yeah? And you know what I mean by that, don't you? Yeah, so we look at our overall wealth and our overall accumulation of wealth if we're fortunate enough to be a homeowner in this climate and we go, how on earth can I be used of God to allow this wealth, this accumulated wealth that you finally achieve over time to be able to make a difference for God in keeping with his kingdom values, his, his mission and his mercy. The use of money is the management side of it. And collectively, we pull together to ensure that we are sowing into the things that God wants us to sow into. So one of, the, one of the little lies that cruise around church life is that when we give to God, it's designed to win his favor. But our giving is not designed to win favor with God. Okay, Our giving is a response to the favor God has already shown us. Everything we do, like when we sung this morning took communion, is an act of worship. And as an act of worship, it's a response to what God has already done. We don't sing a song to get God's attention. We don't sing a song to say, hey, look at me, God, I'm, I'm here and I'm willing and I'm able to be blessed if you'd like to do that. But rather, we respond in worship because of what he has already done through his son on the cross. And so uh, tithing, giving, generosity is not there for you to win God's favour. It's there because we are God's people, and this is what God's people do. They're generous. Generous because we know that this world is not the final resting place for us. We know that this world is just the beginning of an eternal journey that we have with God. And therefore, our management of our finances will express that priority. It's the old story, if you show me where you spend your money, I will show you what your priorities are, yeah? As simple as that, isn't it? Simple as that. And so it's, it's one thing that we have to continue to coach ourselves on, because we live in a world where we're consistently told what we need to make ourselves happy, don't we? Every time you see a commercial, man, if you just uh, spend your money on, on this car, Wow, everybody's going to stop and look at you. You know, if you spend your money on these clothes, you're going to look really fine, really sharp. You know, this deodorant and all the women will walk down the street just following you. Yeah? Yeah? Anybody try that? Doesn't work. So, so what we've got here is, a, is a, essentially a machine that works consistently to draw our attention away from God's priorities to try to put economics back at the top of the list again even in your own life. And it's a real challenge in a world that we live where everything is so dynamic. Uh, there's risks involved, challenges involved. There's failure of businesses sometimes, failure of investments. But all of this that God is saying to us about is saying generosity of heart, generosity of spirit is something that he celebrates. Um, let's have a look at what, uh, what Paul said to the Corinthians in the, in the next letter that he wrote about this. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God partners with us. He meets us. He uses us to build the things of the kingdom, but he meets us at that point where our generosity overflows. And the beautiful thing about New Testament and the use of money is that it it actually helps us understand the condition of our own heart. That's the challenging part about this whole deal about generosity, is that the condition of our own heart gets revealed when Paul says, I just want you to be a happy giver. It's like, oh, I'm happy I have a hundred dollars. I'm happy if I give one. Ah, okay. Do you think there's a problem with that? Maybe. You see, in the Old Testament, people were told—I've to- talked about this before. So, if you've heard it again, heard it before, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but in the Old Testament, it was really, really simple. You were told to tithe, take ten percent of your income, and you would then put that aside, take it to the temple. And it was used to further the work of the kingdom there through the temple. And so the tithe was simply a commitment that you made. And no one would, as long as you did it, no one t- measured you. But the good, the, the good thing about that at one level was that the money went in. The difficult thing about that is that because it was a legalistic requirement and it was done but like paying taxes in a sense, you, you were never left understanding the condition of your own heart. The thing about generosity and to give joyfully is this, is that if you, um, if you gave 3 or 4% of your money and you're going, hmm, I think that's as much as I can do joyfully, all of a sudden you have a revelation of what's going on in here, which you'd never have had if you were living under the old covenant and it was just simply 10% and you gave it regardless of how you felt. Does this make sense? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit like a child with their with their little packet of Smarties. Children do this around this time of year, and they get their little brothers and little sisters, and mum says, hey, I want you to share your candy with your little brother or little sister. How much shall I give them, mummy? Oh, it doesn't matter, you just give them what you feel. (laughs) One. Okay? That's how it happens. That's how it happens. And so, all of a sudden, when we're told to measure our own generosity, we are actually coming to grips with the condition of our own soul, and that is a good thing, because it's a way in which God says, "Hey, listen! By asking you to give out of your generosity and out of generosity and to give out of joy, all of a sudden you come to grips with what's actually important to you. You realise that man, this money thing really does have a bit of a hold on me, and uh, and it's something that I need to work with to overcome, so that I can actually align myself." With what generosity actually looked like in a biblical worldview. So the biblical worldview, from my perspective, um, for us, you know, Michaela and I have have always tithe,d and when opportunities come up to, to give to something extra, we look at it and we go, "Is that worth sowing into?" Like the cowies last week, is that worth sowing into? And we go, "A million lives, man, that's worth sowing into." You know, and so so you are always working on that that condition of your heart. You have to continue to work on that because naturally your heart will shrink. Your heart will shrink in generosity if it's not uh, given room to move and to practice this, this, uh, this giving that is all part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So it's an interesting thing for us to finish on as we've gone through the Corinthian passages. It's interesting because um, it leaves us, like the Corinthians, having to do, and that is to stop and to look at the condition of our own soul. It leaves us asking that question, what is it that is going on in my heart and my head that needs to change or shift to be able to make a greater contribution to this community? Not just the financial side, but it represents everything that Paul has been talking about. The generosity of grace, the generosity of spirit, the generosity towards, uh, in Paul's case, the, the leadership, a the generosity towards the mission. And in everything that Paul has been saying, Sometimes it comes down to little things like this, which are indicators to us about what it is that is going on in our own soul. And so I finish with what I started, and I say this. Generosity wins. Generosity wins. And for each one of us, we're going to be challenged by that word consistently because we do live in a spiritual battle. We live in a world that says you deserve more, you're entitled to more, you should spend more because you deserve it. You should earn more because you're worth it. And that in itself is the spiritual battle that we grind up against every day, don't we, in regards to what it is that we do with our time and our energy, our time, our talents, and our treasure. So today, just by accident, we have our AGM, which we get to talk about our time, our treasure, and our talent in in an open and public forum so that we can collectively see what it is that uh, we've been prioritising in this last 12 months and what we want to prioritise over the next 12 months. So I just want to say, just put a little word out for that. invite you back here at 12.30 for that. But uh, as a church, we are in a place where we can make a huge statement on our community, with our community, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when I look at those summaries of how people lived in AD 125, when they would literally fast to allow somebody else to eat, I think, man, that's exciting. That's exciting. Because there's room to move. (laughs) There's room for all of us to move in respect to this journey of what it is that our other brothers and sisters have experienced before us and, and how Paul described their unique generosity that welled up out of poverty to exceed in this act of giving. What a wonderful community that would have been to belong to. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, as we've um, journeyed through this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we've been troubled, we've been inspired, we've been intimidated, we've been bewildered. And yet all of these stories, Lord, have the capacity to rest here within the 21st century as much as they did in the 1st century. Because this letter talks to people about people things. And we know that um, our hearts are very, very similar to that group in Corinth, that early church that was working hard to become what it is that you saw them being. And so, God, we thank you for the vision that you gave to Paul of who the church is, how they are to behave, how they work together, how they are to believe together. And in all these things, Lord, we've learned so much. And so, God, we, we thank you for this letter, and we thank you that it tells us that regardless of where we've been, um, where we're going is more important. And so we thank you, Lord, that even today as we talked about uh, money as a, as a subject, it talked more about our heart than it did about money as a whole. And so, Lord, we thank you for this because it's the heart that you're after. It's the heart that you want. And with that, Lord, with that heart, you get everything you need. You get mission, you get mercy, and you get management as we surrender to you our, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.